Well, good morning. I feel like it's finally spring, right? I'm able to get out and do some things uh, the other day. That's, that's good, right? There is some people out there, right? I hope. I hope. If not, I'm still doing this. I'm still going. And we're uh, diving into a, a new series uh, today. And uh, when I grew up, I was often told that I was poor. Uh, anybody else in that camp with me? And now, granted, we were not wealthy, but I also feel like we were not poor. Uh, I, I can recall oftentimes going out to eat to this uh, pizza joint. Nearly every Sunday we would go there together. My family would go out to eat other meals throughout the week. Uh, uh, us boys played sports, and, and we always had the equipment necessary to do whatever we needed to do. Our, our Christmas celebrations had presents at them, and our birthdays were the same. And, and my family was big about going to the movies. And so we would go to the movies quite frequently, and when we did, we got this big, huge, tub of popcorn, and, and uh, I, I felt like I didn't suffer much. And, and I'll, I honestly don't know where the resources came from. I don't know if it was all my dad's job, he was a pastor, or if, or if people kind of helped and, and chipped in to uh, provide for our family. My family was not good at, at telling us the financial picture of, of what we were. But I know this, is that we were kind of made to assume that, that we were poor, and I, I fast forward to my family today, and, and my family too enjoys meals out, and we do fun activities together. Our Christmas celebrations are the same where kids get presents and, and uh, things. And in my whole life, you know, I haven't been wealthy, but I definitely haven't been on the, the side of poor. But growing up, I was under the impression that I was. Now, if you're, you're seated in this room, have most of your basic needs covered. You have food, clothing, and shelter. Based upon your geographical position in this world, you too are not poor. Now, I mention all this because we're beginning this new series, The Widow's Might. And you could potentially think based upon Bible stories that we misspelled that word, and that would be embarrassing, but we did not. You could also uh, make a, a, a definition for that word that I, I don't know what that word means. Uh, like it might, uh, she may, I don't, but that's also not where we're going with uh, that word. But rather the definition we're shooting for is might, a person's strength, their power. In this case, these widows' faith on display for all to see. And we want to discuss the widow's strength, her, her might, and we'll look at four widows from the Bible throughout this whole course uh, of the series. And, and uh, I don't know if we can fully comprehend the struggles that a widow growing up in the Old Testament would have really went through. How tragic it could be for a woman during this time to lose their husband. It would be a huge blow, one that was potentially unrecoverable. There were no jobs available for widows. All livelihood uh, in those days were passed down through sons. And so they had no resources. A, a widow would have had a, a large struggle making ends meet. Not to mention, for those who married, God, God designed it in such a way that the two would come together, that they would form a union, and that they would walk side by side, complementing each other through this life. And when you lose that, when you lose companionship, that could be a crushing blow. So, so let me first uh, begin this sermon, if you will, by kind of uh, landscaping God's design. 
Uh, in the beginning, he formed this world, the earth, the cosmos, and everything in it. In, in a certain order, God structured things as it would function best. And then he made man. He made Adam with a, a different purpose than he had created anything else. He made him like God with intellect and creativity, with discernment and, and emotion, to be the authority over all that God had created to this point. To say it another way, our heavenly father desired to provide and protect for Adam. And then he gave Adam the same responsibilities. I'm going to put you in the garden to provide for the garden and protect all that I have created. Now this may seem like a very odd intro to a sermon about widows. But I promise I'm going to try to, to make these dots connect. So you're just going to have to bear with me or at least you could you just humor me for a moment. Here's the truth. Sermons are a lot like golf. You only remember the good ones. So there you go, and we'll see at the conclusion of this one. God positions Adam in the garden to provide and to take care of it. Then God looked around, and he observed all that he created, and what he noticed was Adam was alone. And so there was no means by which he could have a relationship, and that was not God's design. That was not his intent. He saw that things would not function as he hoped. There was no suitable helper. And I think if you try hard, you can make my words here mean several things. But what I'm doing is simply underlying what God said in, in the beginning. That God looked throughout his creation and he said that it is not best for the man to be alone. No one that Adam could do life with who could sustain relational intimacy, who could provide for future growth, and who could handle one of our deepest felt needs in this world, which is to love and to be loved. And so God made woman to be a compliment to Adam. And now Adam's job was to provide and to protect Eve, to care for her, to shelter her, to, to give to her and, and for her. So let me explain it uh, this way. Again, I, I will make this connect. I will land the ship. But I have a wife and, and two kids. And, and so my role is to provide and to protect them. And, and let's assume that I'm walking down the street and somebody comes to attack my wife. They want to steal her purse. They want to, to rob us or, or whatever. They want to attack her. And I'm there with her. Now, that would be a little embarrassing. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm right here. But they go to attack her. Listen, my role in that situation is not, you can do this. You can take him. Oh, that looked like it hurt. But you got this. You can recover. That is not my role. If I did that, all of you would look at me and like, what is wrong with you? My, my role in that situation is to protect her. I mean, she could be an MMA fighter. She could be a world-class athlete. It doesn't matter. My job is to protect her. And that was God's plan from the beginning. That's how he designed it. And so these widows would have lost that. They would have been vulnerable to attack, vulnerable to the elements. They would have had uh, struggled to provide for their families. It was a disastrous scenario. Basically, it was a death sentence. Can I just real quickly address something too? I think marriage is amazing. It, it has its challenges. It, it can be challenging, but, but it is awesome. And, and several of you in here are, are single, or, or there's potentially several who are divorced. And, and hear me say this was God's plan and design, that we are not made to be alone, but that God's plan and it functions best when we're in relationship. And, and you can hear that and that can sting. And I get that. 
You might even argue well that Paul says, well, actually, it's best to remain single. And I would say for some, for, for some, it is best. But God looked down and said this, loneliness, that's not my plan. That's not my design. He created us to crave intimacy. And much of this world, and, and all of this world, can, can best be defined that, that sin and God's best plan for us has been wrecked altered and ruined by sin. All of us, all our situations have been altered or somehow changed because of our sin, including those of you who today may not be in relationship. And so God requests the services of the church at large to come alongside people to give encouragement and challenge to provide and to protect those that God loves, to give them direction. And, and among those, God communicates to us in the New Testament that the church's greatest responsibility would be to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep one's mind from being polluted from the evils in this world, from the customs and culture, from the, the, the magazines on the shelf that tell you this is how you should be and this is what you should do. The people who cannot care for themselves, orphans, who have no parental provision and protection, it's necessary for the church to come alongside them and to care for them. And widows who have lost a substantial portion of their livelihood, God says, look out for these. And the widow that we want to look at this morning, the season that she finds herself widowed in, it's disastrous. A famine has struck the land. And it would have been anticipated that widows would be the first to go meaning they will starve, suffer, and die. They lost their protection. No one can provide for them. And again, no jobs were created for widows in that time. They could not easily care for their household. And oftentimes, they were not even permitted to go back to their father's home. I mean, what's wrong with people? I mean, that's crazy. But if your husband died, you were nearly destined to be lonely. Without proper means to care for yourself and your family members, you and this famine would have been a crushing blow. It was certain that a widow was simply waiting to die. And on that encouraging note, let's look at the story that we'll be looking at today. So it's found in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 8. 1 Kings is an Old Testament book, uh, and so uh, it'll be up here on the screens. It's titled, The Widow at Zarephath. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the, the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks and he asked her, would you please bring me a little cup of water? Now that seems like a simple task to fulfill, wouldn't you agree? I mean, that's a little awkward, not going to lie, but I mean, easy enough. And then as she was going to get his said beverage, he called to her, bring me a bite of food as well. I pump the brakes for a moment. I mean, what does he think this is? Cracker Barrel? Like, could I have a menu? I'd like to see what else is on the order. I would uh, take some bread and whatever you have. I mean, realize this first. This is the first widow he comes across. First person. He sees her gathering sticks. He, he has no relationship with her. He is just Joe Schmo and she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house. I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. 
I was just going to gather these few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. Doesn't sound like the most lovely plot in life. Not a great outlook on how things were going to go, but it was her reality. In the midst of her situation, this was her future, death. And I'm destined to die. One last meal, and I'm a a goner. Now, Elijah was an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin and is coming to a foreigner, someone outside of Israel's family. So all this is an odd task for Elijah, and this woman calls that into account. Uh, I swear by the Lord, your God. Now, again, my family wasn't wealthy. Uh, We weren't poor, but we weren't wealthy. And, And honestly, I can't understand this woman's position. It's hard for me to put myself in her position, to, to, to graft myself into the story. She's staring down last days. A large drought has covered the land, and a famine is her new reality. She is trying to fend for herself. I've never been hungry. I cannot look back over the pages of my life and remember one time where I was hungry. If, if I was actually hungry, I knew in the next couple of hours I'm going to be able to get some food. The, the next day, I'm going to be able to have enough food to stuff my belly. If I want, I, I can put the scraps in the trash. I've never had to, to wonder, where will my next meal come from? I, I've never been destitute or, or wanting much in my life. And so it's hard for me to look at this woman's story and be like, oh yeah, I understand just what you're talking about. But I do think strong faithfulness comes from a deep need for God. Strong faithfulness comes from a deep need for God. I'm not saying that faith and devotion is impossible for those people who have their needs met on a consistent basis, but it is challenging. It will be complex to put into perspective this woman's position to understand how deep her needs are. She's knocking on death's door with her child. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time where the Lord sends the rain and the crops begin to grow again. And that, that's a promise. There will always be enough. There will always be, and God, God keeps his promises. Now, this is an underlinable verse. If you underline in your Bible, if you uh, highlight things, this is an uh, underlinable verse. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Fear can paralyze us. Fear can cause us to panic and act differently than we would if we were calm. Fear can seize our ability to make wise decisions, and, and hunger can too. And this woman has both. She doesn't know Elijah. She has no protector, no provider. She is currently vulnerable to attack. And yet Elijah says, don't be afraid. Can you hear that today? Whatever situation you find yourself in this morning, wherever you are in this life, are are you afraid? Hey, here's what I would ask you to do. What's, What's your greatest fear right now? Maybe you could process this uh, this way. What is the worst case scenario of that fear? And follow that through to the end. And what's the, the best case scenario? What's the greatest outcome of whatever you're afraid of this morning? And is it outside of your control? 
regardless of what happens, can you control any of the circumstances? And if you cannot control it, then put down fear. Stop worrying and start praying, hoping, and trusting in God. And so she did, as Elijah said. She and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. The end. (laughs) And then they tied a lovely bow on it, and the credits rolled, and everybody's like, that was a good Bible story. That was fun. No, this is real life. It's a real situation, and these needs are, are dire. And she probably feels the same way as you did. She's looking down death's door, and I'm guessing that her plot in life was similar to yours. The widow trusted Elijah the first time to make the bread. She goes in there, she makes the bread, but the next time? I don't know. Maybe she hesitated. Maybe she tore off smaller and smaller portions for Elijah. Can you imagine? He's like, my plate's getting smaller. It's like, what's, what's going on? I, I mean, that's what I would have done if, if, if I'm honest. But she's wondering, at some point, this flour, this olive oil, it's going to run out. I mean, why would God provide for me a widow? And, and so maybe, like you, yesterday you trusted God, but today... Today, you're struggling. You're putting one foot in front of the other, and you're certain that your next steps are going to lead you right off a cliff. But, but they did as God asked. She did as God requested, and they ate until the rains came. Psalm 68, 3 through 6 says this, But let the godly rejoice. Let them be glad in God's presence. Let them be filled with joy. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoices in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families. He sets the prisoners free and gives them joy, but he makes the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. What I love about the potential for this series is it's going to showcase the strength of the widows. Uh, This series is titled uh, Widow's Might, and often these stories of great faith get kind of tucked away in the Old Testament, get buried in the the pages of, uh, of other stories that we don't often address or look at or give much attention to, but these examples of trust and obedience are worthy of our attention. And all the widows that we're going to look at into this series all have great strength. All are doing the best with what they've been given, and times are hard. They're challenging. They're difficult, but they lean in. And it's in this instance right here that times are, are dire. But God are two of the sweetest words we can ever hear. But God is a father to the, the fatherless. And I don't know what or how you feel about your earthly father. I'm certain in a, a room this size and Uh, Today, multiple people will come through this building and they'll have legitimate concerns. They'll lack trust in their earthly father. But God is a father to the fatherless. Romans 8, 15 says, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his sufferings. 
Do you know why that verse is so critical? Because to a widow who has no hope in a future inheritance, she was destitute, she would have had no land, no resources, no rights. She was left for dead. But God is a father to the fatherless. See, Paul says, don't fear. Do not be afraid. You are not slaves. Instead, God will call you his child. Instead, God will claim you as his own if you receive him. He will give you an inheritance provided for his children. He will treat you just like the Israelites. You too will be a child of God with all its rights and privileges. On the last day, God will redeem you. He will call you his own. And that would have been huge. That would have been huge. God is a father to the fatherless, a defender, a protector of widows. He provides and protects to the point that James makes later on in the New Testament. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means this, caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let one's mind be polluted and corrupted by this world. I would say today, several people in here uh, don't have blood relatives within this place. They don't have family members, and and that's kind of why they come, but rather they would call this place their family. There are multiple examples of where God rescued someone in this place, erased their history, covered their their past debt, and regardless of their family lineage, has grafted them into this family, gave them hope for tomorrow, grace to cover their, their past. And the same is true for you too. You too can become an heir to the throne of God's kingdom. God has instructed us to care for the orphans and widows, for the church. And hear me, the church is not Daniel and I. Uh, The church is not Calvary staff at large. They're the ones to care for. The church is us. You You and I have been entrusted to care for, to provide and protect for those who cannot and who may not have the means to provide for themselves. And this woman, I don't know if you have been where she is, in in need, looking at the jar of flour, staring at the container of oil, knowing as her son passed her that morning, I can't imagine that these are last moments. This is one last meal, and then, then I'm going to die. She was afraid. Fear was her prison. And fear can crush us if we're not careful. Fear was her prison, and, and I'm guessing that you have a prison as well. 2 Corinthians 12.10 says, That's why I take pleasure in my weakness and in the insults, hardship, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, he makes me strong. And one of my favorite verses, I hold on to this verse often, Romans 5.6, it says, You see, at just the right time, God's time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. In the New Living Translation, it says, When we were utterly helpless, The English Standard Version says, while you were still weak in your sin, there is an extreme famine in the land. Can you picture it? You are without your husband. You have hungry mouths to feed in your household, but there is no food. There is nothing to be found. You're hungry, you're weak, you're utterly helpless. You have no power at your disposal, no control of the situation. All you have is one last meal. Are you afraid? I am, I'd be afraid for my life, but I'm standing on the other side of good news. And here is good news. You fell in a ditch 
And there's no way possible you can pull yourself out. You have no strength. You're utterly helpless. You have no power at your disposal. You're lying in a ditch. But God has full strength, full power, and he takes your place. He died for you. So this widow was afraid, but her freedom was her faith. She was obedient to God's request. She trusted Elijah, uh, Elijah that God would keep his word, that God keeps his promises. And hear me, that is the Monday morning application. God keeps his promises for all of us. And that's good news for you and I, that fear can make you a slave. Fear can paralyze you. Fear can make you irrational and foolish. But God, see, aren't those sweet words? But God saves sinners. But God gives power to the powerless. But God protects the unprotected. He provides for those who cannot care for themselves. When we are obedient to him, he makes a way for the impossible to be possible. And today, some of you are locked up in a prison. You're a a slave to your sin. For some, it's the sin of self-righteousness. And here's, here's what that means. It means that you don't need God today. Honestly, you're not likely going to need God tomorrow. You know that you have food, shelter, clothing, and you have no desperate needs. You, you have your bases covered, and maybe you have made yourself right, if you will. You have no glaring sins in the closet. You're, you're relatively good. You're, you're a, a, a pretty good person. You're not weak. You're actually quite powerful. Your prison is pride, and your freedom is humility. What will it take for you to humble yourself and long for your Savior? That's your freedom. If you can be obedient and follow him, he will set you free. And some of you are a slave to sexual sin, to the, the lust of the flesh. It's a, a prison that you've grown accustomed to. You know it's, it's a weakness of yours, but you mask it behind clever deception. I mean, you wouldn't know honesty if it slapped you in the face. You're locked up. Your prison is desire and your freedom is devotion. You will need to find a way to devote your life to Christ, to find your strength, your healing, your hope in him. Set your mind on obedience and watch as your devotion changes. Some of you are locked up tightly in a prison of anger. You're mad at the world. And whether or not your anger is justified, from a bad father to a poor marriage, an abusive situation, you're, you're angry. Your prison is conflict and everything's a fight. Everything is war and your freedom is peace. You strive for it, you long for it, but it never comes. Some of you are in a prison of people pleasing. You claim it's service or, or submission, but you get run over all the time. You feel you have no rights. You feel like you don't deserve anything better. You're a slave to pleasing anyone and everyone, and you can never do enough. Your prison is failure. You're just afraid that you could fail, and your freedom is grace. Hear me, grace, it is enough. It's sufficient to cover whatever failure, regret, past, you won't let yourself up off the mat for. And all these roads lead to freedom by one means, obedience. When we are obedient, our faith increases. When we are obedient, our faith increases. And when our faith grows, our freedom is secure. But when we rebel, when we turn away from God, we separate ourselves from his best intentions for our life we, we submit the prison walls and the shackles get tighter and tighter. And the widow surely didn't have to feed Elijah anything. 
And she didn't have to provide for him, but her fear would have robbed her of the blessings that God wanted to bestow, meal after meal after meal until the rains came. God wanted to free her, and it took obedience to see it through. So what blessings have you missed? How much joy have you robbed from yourself? When will you obey? Because freedom is right around the corner. 1 Kings 17, 17 says, Sometime later the woman's son became sick. Wait, that's not how the story's supposed to go. I know. But this is real life, right? It's real life. Where the only thing that you can bank on are the words that Jesus said in John 16, In this world you will have trouble. 1 Kings 17, 18 says, The son grew worse and worse and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, oh, man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come here to point out my sins and kill my son? But Elijah replied, give me your son. And he took the child's body from her arms. He carried him upstairs to where he was staying, and he laid his body out on the bed. Then Elijah cried out to the Lord, oh, Lord, my God, why have you brought tragedy to this widow who has opened her home to me, causing her son to die? Stretched himself out over the child three times. He cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, my God, please let this child's life return to him. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer. And the life of the child returned and he revived. Then Elijah brought him down from the upper room and gave them back to his mother. Look, he said, your son is alive. Then the woman told Elijah, Now, now I know for sure that you are a man of God and that the Lord truly speaks through you. See, God wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to not only free you from your prison, he wants to revive your faith. He wants to restore you. He wants to make you into something new. And maybe you're thinking, you clearly don't know my circumstances. I don't. I don't. But you could easily say, I don't know how I'm going to survive this season, this relationship, this moment. I'm staring down the end of a barrel. And I know a widow who would say, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. And until she followed in obedience, she could never imagine what God had in store for her life. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, according to his great power that is at work within us, God not only can, he wants to do immeasurably more above and beyond whatever you could ask or imagine. He wants to do some amazing things in your life. Today, the Monday morning application is this. You don't know what today holds. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. But, but you are probably likely going to experience some trouble in this life. But if you can follow in obedience to Christ, he's waiting to do some powerful things through Christ who is at work in you and the church. To him be glory. To him be praise. So go and be obedient. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you right now and and there are some glaring needs in this place. There are some people who absolutely need you to be God in the midst of their situation. While we were still weak, while we were utterly helpless, while we had no power at our disposal, you came and you took our place. You sent your one and only son so that we could have life everlasting. And so, Lord, today, 
that to him, to you be glory. May, may I be faithful. May I be obedient and watch as you, you bring the blessing. Lord, we love you and it's in your name that we pray. Amen.